stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Politics in 2018 um, was, it was an interesting year, wasn't it? Dwayne Bratt is a PhD professor, political science professor, and chair in the Department of Economics, Justice, Policy Studies at Mount Royal University. He knows politics better than anybody I know. And um, so when I need some help, I thought, let's call Dwayne Bratt. Let's find out what we can talk about here and looking back at 2018. And what are we in for in 2019? Because it is election year coming up. Uh, Dwayne, good afternoon. Uh, It's been a unique and certainly crazy year in politics uh, in Canada and Alberta, hasn't it? I look back to some of the year-end interviews I was giving in December of 2017. And I was saying at the time that for Rachel Notley, a necessary but not sufficient condition for Notley to get reelected is that construction on the Trans Mountain Pipeline had to begin sometime in 2018. (laughs) And here we are in December of 2018, and nothing has happened. Yeah, nothing I mean, has there's happened. been lots, lots of events have happened, but as far as construction, uh, nothing. And it was, it was basically a, a year that we could divide, not equally of six months and six months, but I'll go about nine months and then, you know, um, three months after that. And that was a lot of the progress that Rachel Notley had done on the on the pipeline file. So. Back in February and March, there was a short wine war with BC, where she blocked the purchase of, of BC wine by Alberta government wholesalers um, as a way of putting pressure on the BC government to get Trans Mountain through. Uh, because at the time, it was seen that the BC government was the biggest impediment to this. Uh, then there was some back and forth and some work that she did with uh, with the federal government. And then Kinder Morgan gets cold feet, and they announce that they're going to pull out of the project. Kinder Morgan was the owner of the Trans Mountain Pipeline. They said, there's just too much political uncertainty. We're not going to go forward. And then I think Notley made one of her her best moves, where she convinced the federal government to buy the pipeline uh, for over $4 billion. Uh, And it's not just a $4 billion um, investment. To construct the pipeline is probably another seven or eight billion. So a major investment by the federal government, and it really showed some some muscle behind getting the pipeline. That was sort of the high water mark for her. There was a series of court cases that went into the uh, the spring, and with every victory that she had at the courts. She would be high-fiving people and telling workers, you know, get your get your tools out. We got a pipeline to build, and and it looked like Notley's strategy of, of putting uh, a little bit of pressure on BC, but really a lot of behind-the-scenes pressure on the federal government was was paying off. And then it all came crashing down in late August uh, when the federal court of appeal um, reversed the approval of Trans Mountain not from a suit filed by the D.C. government, but by a series of indigenous uh, groups in in British Columbia that cited the constitutional requirement of what we call the duty to consult. And they they argued that they weren't properly consulted during the approval process 
And so the Federal Court of Appeal quashed uh, the approval process um, largely on two grounds. They said that the Trudeau government didn't properly consult Indigenous peoples um, in, in 2016, but then they also said that the Harper government had made a, a strategic error, a fundamental error, in 2012 when they told the National Energy Board they didn't need to do environmental assessment outside the pipeline, in, in particular the tanker traffic off the coast of, of British Columbia. And it said, go back to the drawing boards. And almost from the moment that that decision came down, things just got bad to worse, to worser, to worsest uh, for, <laughs> for Notley. And she was under damage control the entire fall. And she was throwing every possible policy idea against the wall. So she told the federal government that, no, they should go out and appeal this court case to the Supreme Court of Canada, which they didn't do. And then she said, well, we're going to buy rail cars and we're going to ship it by rail. And she promised to buy 7,000 rail cars and was hoping the federal government would help buy some of those. Um, that didn't work. Um, then she announced a um, curtailment of oil production. And then she said, we're, we're going to look for, for Alberta companies to build a refinery in Alberta. So she was coming up with all of these uh, ideas, some good, some bad, some ridiculous, and just throwing, hoping that one of them somehow uh, w- would stick. None of them really did. Some of them did have an impact. And, and here we are a couple months later, and uh, she, she's looking like a, a government on death watch as a result. Well, I went from... In, from my eyes, that was it. This is a government that I wasn't, I didn't have confidence in to a government that I went, wait a second, something's happening here. And then I went to, this all sounds like it fell apart and we're in campaign mode. Yes. Uh, well, we've been in campaign mode pretty much all year. Um, I remember when uh, I was asked, and I can't remember which announcement it was. It might have been the TV address that she gave after the Federal Court of Appeal, and she actually took 10 minutes of, of airtime on, on the networks in, in Alberta and, and spoke. And they're going, well, this is the start of the campaign. I said, well, no, the campaign actually probably began in the summer of 2017 when Jason Kenney won the leadership of the UCP. Um, and this has been the, the longest campaign in Alberta history. We still have a few more months to go. But it's almost like American-style politics where they have these never-ending campaigns. Usually, we have a 30-day campaign in, in Alberta, maybe a couple weeks or months sort of lead up to that. But this will have been a year and a half of constant campaigning uh, before the vote. Well, as a political scientist, I mean, is 30 days enough? I've always been curious about that. Is 30-day campaign really enough? It, it is because... Um, much of the die is cast. Like we often, politicians will often say, you know, campaigns really matter. And in some elections they do. I would argue that the 2015 Alberta election, that campaign really mattered. And that won the premiership for Rachel Notley. But previous elections, uh, the decision was made well in advance before, before the campaign. And, you know, Ordinary Albertans don't have time to sift through all of these issues over an extended period of time. And that's why there's a value of an election campaign where we can actually pit, 
you know, party platform versus party platform, assess the record, look at the individuals who are running, see them on the debate stage together. Um, those are things that we haven't been able to see prior to that. And it gets people's attention that the, the pre-writ period simply doesn't. Well, I think that when you look at the politics in the States, I mean, this endless space of spin creates almost this this lack of accuracy. And then here in Canada, I just always have found that four weeks is really short. I always thought that six or eight weeks was probably makes more sense. But then again, that's not my, it's not my jam. I'm just a guy. <laughs> um, so when we look at federal politics, um, what did 2018 look like for Trudeau and his, his folks? I couldn't imagine a worse year for the federal government in Alberta, except for maybe 1981 and the, and the National Energy Program. I would argue that there's a lot more anger in this province against Justin Trudeau than there is against Rachel Notley. I think people like Notley. They may have felt that she's, she's been dealt a, a bad hand or she hasn't you know, made the right moves, but they feel her heart's in the right place. They're not that you don't get that sense with with Justin Trudeau. And previous to this, he had made relatively big inroads in in Alberta for for a liberal, especially a liberal with the last name Trudeau. He spent a lot of time in Calgary. Um, He picked up seats in Calgary in the 2015 election for the first time since 1968. He would get really good reception, but um, I think he got credit except by those that are paid to hate him for purchasing the Trans Mountain Pipeline. I think that was a major investment. But same with Notley. When that Federal Court of Appeal decision came down in August, then the ire really swung hard to Trudeau. And there just seemed to be escalating issues. This this Bill C-69, which was a, a revamp of the environmental assessment process, which hasn't been ratified yet, but was passed in the House of Commons, was seen as really damaging to the to the Canadian energy sector. And it would just seem to be one thing after another. And so we saw rising demonstrations, whether that was in Grand Prairie or in Nisku or in Medicine Hat, and especially in Calgary. Uh, the last time that Trudeau came to Calgary, they shut down downtown with, with demonstrators against him. And then he walked into a Chamber of Commerce room, and even the people who were there, who had paid to be there, gave him a pretty cold reception. So it's, uh, it's been a very ugly couple months uh, for, for Trudeau, and uh, I don't think it's going to get any better for him in this province. Dwayne Bratt, 770 CHQR. I'm Zach in for Rob Breckenridge. Let's take a look forward at 2019 next. I'm Zach and for Rob Breckenridge. Good afternoon. We're on the phone with Dwayne Bratt. Uh, he's a political science professor and chair, Department of Economics, Justice, and Policy Studies at Mount Royal University, uh, giving us a snapshot of what 2018 did look like and what 2019 might look like uh, in politics in Alberta and federally here in Canada. The federal election, Dwayne, when is that going to happen? That will occur in October. Uh, there is legislation, um, federal legislation that dictates... Uh, a four-year election cycle. Um, sometimes that gets disrupted in minority government situations, but Trudeau has said he's holding to that four years. He's not going to change the legislation. And that would put us up in, in about October 
October of 2019 for the federal election. Now, forgive um, the naivety in this. Can he really just arbitrarily pick a date? Uh, well, no, there is there is legislation uh, that establishes a date in, in October. Um, but given that fixed elections don't work very well in a parliamentary system, uh, they're really a lot. They're a bit of a sideshow. And I've I'm a harsh critic of these fixed election dates, which try to mimic the U.S. system. But in a, a system of responsible government and and uh, all sorts of challenges with the with the governor general and, and the prime minister and minority governments, majority governments, it doesn't make any sense to me to do so. And I'll go one step further. One of the arguments in favor of fixed election dates was that it would end speculation on election timing. <laughs> that has not happened. So we have the worst of all worlds. We have laws that say it has to be in here, but there's so many loopholes in the law to rec- to recognize Canada's parliamentary system that it makes it meaningless. So we're right back to where we are before speculating about when elections will be. So I'm having said all that and finishing my rant, uh, <laughs> I believe the feds will go to the polls in October of 2019, which will be four years after the, uh, the election of Trudeau in 2015. Do we see Trudeau back? I think so. At this at this point in time, I think we do. And this may shock a lot of listeners um, in, in Alberta, where there is tremendous anger. And he will, I'm pretty sure, lose every seat in, in Alberta. But there's only four of them. He's got most of his seats across the rest of the, the country. And I think the, the biggest assets he has are three people. Jagmeet Singh, who is the NDP leader, who is not very popular, has been a very weak and ineffectual leader. And every time the NDP do poorly, the, the Liberals do well. Those those NDP votes go back to the Liberal Party, just as they did in 2015. And particularly in the province of Quebec, where you now have, you know, the native son, Justin Trudeau, against, um, you know, to, to be blunt here, a turban seek out of Brampton, it's going to look very good for Trudeau, and he's going to pick up a bunch of NDP seats in, in the province of Quebec. The other asset he's got is Andrew Scheer. And Andrew Scheer really hasn't distinguished himself uh, as leader of the Conservative Party. Um, if you look at who the real leaders of conservatism are in Canada, it's Jason Kenney, it's Doug Ford, it's even Scott Moe in Saskatchewan, and it's not the leader of the Conservative Party. And even conservatives seem to be a bit upset with with how Scheer is running things. And the third asset that Trudeau has is Donald Trump in the United States. And you, you couldn't ask for a, a bigger contrast to Trump than, Donald, than, uh, than Justin Trudeau. And so for, I think for those reasons, I think while we're still... You know, eight months away, I, I think we're looking at a, a Trudeau re-election. Uh, Dwayne Bratt, political, uh, <laughs> he's a political brain in my world. <laughs> um, when, we look at, when we look at the provincial election, when is that going to happen? Once again, we have a fixed election period, unlike a, a fixed election date. And the legislation here says it has to be between the 1st of March and the end of May. And once again, this has not ended speculation around election timing. And so almost from the moment that Rachel Notley was elected, I've heard people saying, you know, she's going to 
call an early election. She's going to call a quick election. She's going to call an election while the UCP is still working out its merger. Or she's going to call an election now. And Well, at this point, there's no early election because you have to call it 30 days out. What would be the point of calling it today or tomorrow to go a month early, you know, to, to vote in February in, instead of March? Conversely, people will say, well, she's going to recall the legislature and she's going to change the law and allow her to go another year. And legally, she could do that. I think it would be very difficult politically to do so um, because under the Canadian Constitution, you're allowed five years between elections. But by convention and by Alberta's own law, it is four years. And when we look at examples of governments that have gone five years, they get absolutely decimated, whether that was Bob Ray in Ontario, whether that was uh, Pierre Trudeau going in 1979, or the Mulroney-Campbell government in 1993. So I think we're going to look at March to, to the end of May, somewhere in that three-month time period. Do we see another Rachel Notley? At this point, I wouldn't be betting much on that. Uh, I think she had an opportunity before the the death of Trans Mountain, and uh, she's going to try to make this about nomination battles in the UCP or threats around gay rights that uh, that uh, Jason Kenney might have, or blowing up hospitals, or, or what have you. But I think the die is cast. There's a lot of anger in this province. This provides uh, an opportunity to lash out. And whether people like Jason Kenney or don't like him, he's going to be the recipient of this of this anger. He's going to be the beneficiary. Uh, but uh, the economy has just been stagnant or worse for four years. And that gets an incumbent government tossed out. And we're looking at a UCP government i'm not sure there's much that the the ndp could do i think that um (laughs) if they're on their way out and they know they're on their way out why not stick around and loiter a little bit huh (sighs) i mean you never know yeah no i mean i I keep hearing that you know that uh oh if they know that they're going to be tossed out of power that they're just going to stick around well i think alberta has turned the corner and become a more mature political province and what i mean by that is prior to 20 i guess 19 when we elected governments they tended to stick around for a very long time i mean the pcs were around for 40 years the socreds were around for 40 years we didn't elect governments we elected dynasties i don't think that's the case now so yeah, they could try to run a scorched earth campaign and extend it for another year and implement every dream that the NDP has. And, you know, they would be one seat in yeah. the, and they finally went there. Yeah. As opposed to running a strategy that says, look, if you elect Jason Kenney, he's going to do A, B, C, and D, and it's going to be really disastrous for this province and a way of minimizing their losses. So they run that strategy, they hold on to a base, it may just be a base in Edmonton, but there may be a seat in Calgary or Lethbridge, and then Kenny does do A, B, C, and D, and it doesn't work out very well for him. There you're sitting there with an alternative government with some experience saying, see, we we told you so, it was harder than he made it out to be. And we're ready to go back in. Do you run the football? Do you throw the football? Or do you kick the football? That's what we're faced with, isn't it? 
Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Dwayne Bratt, thank you very much. Happy New Year, sir. You as well, Zach. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.